are continuing in our study in the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Philippians. So please turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. So we're pretty close from finishing up this letter. Uh, we just have one more chapter. Uh, we'll break this chapter specifically down into two parts. The first part we're going over is the first 11 verses. And the title of this morning's message is Righteousness is Known in Faith. Righteousness is known in faith. So let's begin by reading again Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law. Blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Heavenly Father, oh, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. May you help us to understand, as we're inclined to rely on the flesh, to rely on the Spirit, understanding that our righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ, and no works at all. We cannot add to the righteousness that we, are, uh, that we come to know in Christ Jesus, that we are given freely by grace through faith in Christ. And with that, Lord, it brings us a peace. Father, I pray that we would know that peace. That there would be no anxiousness within us. No attempt to gain any kind of right standing before you because of anything that we do. But simply trust and surrender and rely on that which has already been done for us. Jesus Christ has been crucified on the cross on our behalf. And our faith is in Him, in no one else. Our understanding and knowledge of salvation, in our reception of salvation, is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. May that put us at ease. And may may we simply live in response to that love that you first demonstrated to us. So we commit this morning into your hands. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This section reminds me of a few things that Paul had covered in his letter to the Galatians regarding their faith and how it is that 
righteous, the righteous live by faith and not the flesh. And how we are justified by faith. Through Christ, our sins are forgiven and the Father sees us in Christ perfect, just as if we had never sinned. That is truly amazing. Not that we are sinless, because none of us are sinless. Not this side of heaven, at least. But that in Christ, our sins have been forgiven past, present, and future. And as the Father sees us, He sees us perfect in Christ. And therefore, we should live our lives in response to that, in gratitude. With uh, thankfulness in our hearts to the one who became a curse for us and hung on the cross for us, on the tree, shedding his blood on our behalf, and therefore glorifying him by how we now live our lives today. And it's good news. There's nothing that we can add to that work to accomplish any more righteousness. We, we, we don't need to do anything more. Nothing we can substitute in its place that can also serve as the payment for our sins and win us a place in heaven. If you ask the world, what will, what will earn us a place in heaven? Who goes to heaven? The majority will say, if you're a good person. If, you know, I, I, I don't lie. Um, I'm not a murderer. I'm not this. I'm not that. It, it's, uh, for the most part, I'm a good person. But the Bible is very clear, right? And if we actually go down and test those things, we realize that um, we've, we've broken all the commandments. They say it's because of their good works. And we realize when we read the word that there's nothing good that we can offer. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, we have a tendency to finish in the flesh what was begun in the spirit. Even as Christians. And that's why this letter is not to the world. This letter is to the church in Philippi. That's who it's written to. And so even us as Christians, we cannot be reminded of this enough. Because what God has begun in the Spirit, we tend to try and finish in the flesh. And again, to the Galatians, Paul writes, Galatians 3.3 3 says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And if we're looking to the things we do, the appearance of righteousness, and don't trust the Lord's finished work by faith, then we will be susceptible to being fooled by those who appear to be righteous by what they do, rather than the true righteousness that is known by faith in Christ alone. We'll be led to go in that direction. That looks like the right thing to do. Those are good people. So we'll be fooled by that. In fact, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, it says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so it's that serious. And it's for that reason, even as the Apostle Paul had written to the Galatians, that there is no other gospel. The gospel is this, and this is a good news. 
the Father sent the Son to die on your behalf. He paid the full payment of our sins on the cross. And He shed His blood. He conquered, He had victory over sin on the cross. Death as He resurrected from the grave three days later. And if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you shall know salvation, forgiveness of your sins. Not by any works. You're saved by grace. That's the good news. Anything more than that, anything, any kind of works that we can do is not true. And it's another gospel. Now, although Paul's letter to the Philippians has a different tone, in fact, it has beautiful undertones of joy throughout it. We are to pay particular attention to what Paul is saying regarding the warning of relying on the flesh and remain living at peace and Uh, living lives that reflect a righteousness known in faith and never in our works. Why? And this is very important for us to understand, because it frees us to live by grace and in God's grace. It eliminates the need to set up some steps to righteousness, because we can't achieve it ever, nor can we maintain it by works of the flesh. And that is freeing, isn't it? To to me, it's liberating. It's, It's freedom. We don't have to attain it, nor do we have to, or can we maintain it by anything that we can do. It brings peace, as we know the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, that depends on faith and not on the flesh. That is truly freeing. As Christians, we need to learn how to live as those who have come to know salvation in Jesus Christ. And we are learning. We're in the process of that. No one has arrived just as those in Paul's time were learning with the same words, they were inspired, so we are. And by the way, they are inspired by the very Holy Spirit, God himself. They are God-breathed. And so we also receive that word in our learning how to apply the word of God to our lives and work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, with reverence toward the Lord. So righteousness is known in faith. Number one, we're going to take a look at this warning that the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians. He says, warning, right? Look out for these. Number two, take note. We are not of the flesh. And thirdly, rejoice. Righteousness depends on faith. Those three things. Let's uh, start out with uh, this warning. Warning, look out for these, is what the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians about. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Uh, Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. I love how the beginning of this chapter... The Apostle Paul helps us to focus our attention on joy before giving a warning about those we are to be aware of. Finally, he's not saying that these are Paul's closing words because he'll say it again in chapter 4, verse 8. And so, you know, for me, this was uh, a great comfort because as a pastor, you all know that uh, we say in conclusion several times. And so the first two times or three, perhaps I didn't mean And so, forgive me if I continue to say in conclusion, or finally, right? Just hold tight. There's more. Now, what he's saying with that 
is that there's a transition of what he had previously spoken about. It is fitting for the Christian to rejoice in the Lord, not dependent on our circumstances, because what we need to consider is that which came before. Uh, He referred to Timothy and Epaphrodites. Remember that Epaphrodites was ill. And Timothy, well, he had endured and will endure much more for the sake of the gospel. And who is to say of Paul? While he was writing this letter, he was in prison. And so it's for that, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord is to genuinely trust in God. This is something that perhaps you, sh- you, you needed to hear this morning. You know, regardless of our circumstances, that which we're faced with today, we need to rejoice in the Lord. Learn to rejoice in the Lord. Because to rejoice in the Lord is to genuinely trust in God, exercising a faith in the one we say we have faith in. We proclaim, we declare by our by the things we say, but it should reflect in the way we live our lives. That the Lord certainly is in control and we trust in Him alone. Again, these are things that we're learning along the way. I love how it is that in a, in a message that Pastor Chuck gave at Calvary Chapel Golden Springs back in 1988. He was telling them about the philosophy of Calvary Chapel. And how was that prior, in years prior, he had gone through a very topical, two, he had two years worth of topical messages. And once he was done with that, then he asked for a transfer, and then he transferred to another church, and then he'd go through his two, year, uh, you know, two years worth of topical messages, and then he'd ask for another transfer. Finally, he got to Huntington Beach, and he thought, this is where the Lord has me, right here, right? <laughs> what a place to be, too. Some of you were at Huntington Beach yesterday. Right? But at that point, it was a small community of about 6,000 people. And not that today, is it? But it was there that the Lord started to work in his life. And, and he started going through the Word systematically, just verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And he realized that the whole counsel of God was there and enough for the people. That he didn't have to proclaim these, uh, like prepare these evangelistic messages because he understood that he wasn't gifted in evangelism. He was gifted as a pastor teacher. Right? And as he taught the word and and the body began to mature, how was that in turn healthy sheep begot healthy sheep? Right? And so as... As the word equips you, so it is that you start telling other people about the love of God, about uh, how it is that we are saved by grace. You, You start to tell them these things. And so it's enough. And we understand that God's love for us is in all circumstances and through all things that we are faced with in how it is that we can experience a true and lasting relationship with the Lord in maturity. The purpose of the church is to glorify the head of the church, who is Jesus. And we do that, according to Ephesians 4, by growing together, each one doing his part and maturing in the body so that we would not be fooled or tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And so... 
as he started going through the whole counsel of God, so we do here. And we come to these things to where we can rejoice in the Lord and trust in him genuinely because we know that he is in control. And we can rejoice in the fact that he is our Lord, not just our Savior. And we can follow him with great confidence. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Not some things, but all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And we begin to realize this as we submit to him, surrender to him, and allow him to lead and direct us by his wisdom according to his word and by his spirit giving us understanding of those things. Now, for the Apostle Paul... It was no trouble for him to remind the church in Philippi of these things. It was a shepherd's heart toward them. He, he loved them, and it, it was nothing to him, no trouble for him. I'm going to remind you of these things just one more time. Because he understood that it was for their own good. So rejoice in the Lord and look out for these. I I'm, I'm, will never tire of doing this just one more time. Just one more time. So look out for these. That's a good shepherd. He'll tell you, look out for these. The the Apostle Paul writes, look out for these. Warning. Number one, dogs. Number two, evildoers. And number three, mutilators of the flesh. Let's see what those are. Because these were people who were trying to deceive the Philippians. What are dogs? Well, they're little furry critters. Usually with four feet. Sometimes they have three if they're... (laughs) No, just kidding. He's referring to dogs as those who are legalists, who are contentious. These are legalists who don't allow any authority over them. They are the authority. They will tell you how it is, period. Uh, Dogs, the description of them... um, I mean, here in the U.S., we, we hardly see, we see dogs out, but not, not many, right? Usually uh, uh, the dog catcher will come around if you call them and they'll pick up a dog or, you know, others take care of them. But we don't see many. In other countries, you see dogs all over the place. And they roam. They get into tra- trash. They're scavengers. And they, and they, and they roam around in, in packs, Right? That's how these legalists run around. And that is how the Apostle Paul is describing them. He's referring to them as dogs. It's a term of contempt that Paul uses toward them. And I think it communicates how Paul felt toward them very well. Because of the destruction that they would leave behind. And so he didn't mince words, did he? These legalists. Paul said, they're dogs. I'll that kind of sticks to your mind, doesn't it? It, it, it? It'll come out. They are defiled and leave a trail of defilement everywhere they go. Just know that they're, they think they're doing something else when in fact what they're leaving behind is a trail of destruction and defilement. Number two. Evildoers, watch out for evildoers. What are these? Well, these are legalists who rely on works or emphasize works-based righteousness. 
And they deceive people into believing that they need to do something in order to gain righteousness. Now we can go through cult and go through that. What we want to do here is not to identify the specific uh, groups uh, or cults that um, really focus on this, but more for you to understand what the truth is, and therefore you can discern that which is false. Amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the genuine. So with that, I'm sure you're already ha- you already have a few things in mind, a few groups in mind that you could say, oh yeah, they focus on, on legalism. They focus on, on works-based righteousness, which we can never, that's false. Um, that's true, because the word tells us that that is false. So they're evil workers or evil doers. Uh, Perhaps these are new things that are constantly being introduced to the church in order to quote-unquote know righteousness, and they sell it to not stupid people, but to ignorant people, people who do not know the truth. And it's for that reason that we give you the truth so that you would not be ignorant and you would have spiritual discernment. Some of these are fads, the latest and whatever. This is how you can... And all is nonsense. And the Apostle Paul is very clear in saying that this is evil. Mutilators of the flesh. Jews that require Gentiles to be circumcised to become Christians. This is the first thing that you do. Observe the law and um, get circumcised. Well, Paul regarded it as mutilation and not something necessary. Because the true circumcision of the flesh was the flesh of the heart. That's what was important. The cutting away of the flesh instead of relying instead of relying on the Spirit of God who indwells a believer. So we trust in Him. We allow the Lord to take away that flesh. And He does so. He gives us a new heart. And so Paul warns them, look out for these. So number one, warning, look out for these. Number two, take note, we are not of the flesh. And so he describes someone who should be a Christian who is a follower of Christ, who is part of the church. Verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. As for us as Christians, we are not mutilators of the flesh, we are not evildoers, and we are not dogs. This is how, this is how we worship. This is true circumcision. Number one, by the Spirit. He lays it all out, right? It's, it's all right there. This is our outline. By the Spirit, glorying in Christ Jesus and putting no confidence in the flesh. Those three things. Number one, this is true circumcision. We worship God in spirit or by the Spirit. Which means there's a danger in relying, if we, we look at what's implied here, there's a danger in relying in a worship of God with external emotion, emotionally driven actions. It's all outward, but nothing is inward. We rely on the emotion and the experience, and not simply worshiping God in spirit, which is always according to the truth of God's word. It will never contradict. Today we have too many churches that are trying to look for the experience and not just simply going back to worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Those things go together. If what you're experiencing is not according to God's word, there's something wrong there. And you've got to be careful. 
it will be superficial. And if the experience isn't there, if the emotion isn't there, then what happens is you fall into depression. You, th- you think that God's abandoned you when he hasn't. He says, I love you with an everlasting love. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. King David even felt like God was far away, but it was at those times that he had, come, had to come to repentance because of his own sin. Oftentimes when we feel like that, it's because of, because of our own hearts. Not always, but oftentimes it is. And so this is one of those things to where we can look to and understand as we read through that the Apostle Paul was telling the Philippians, this is what marks the Christian. We worship God in spirit. The spirit will always focus our attention on the Lord and not ourselves. We are prone to focus on ourselves. (laughs) Just examine, like Peter was talking about, just judge yourself. But don't judge yourself on your own standard. Don't judge yourself by the standards of the world. Judge yourself by the standards of God's word. And you will soon realize that you need to take your eyes off of yourself, in fact, and put them squarely on the Lord. Because our attention should always be on the Lord, His majesty, His grace, His sacrifice, and never on us. It's all about Him. And the flesh will not allow that. Just know this. The flesh will not allow that, but the Spirit will always point us to Jesus and not ourselves. Focusing on Him. Number two, Jesus is the one we always glory in. Jesus alone is our joy, and we set our affection on Him. He he is our satisfaction. We are content in Him. He is our all in all. And so He is our glory. That's... That's who we look forward to seeing, to knowing in His fullness when we are home with Him and away from the body. Number three, put no confidence in the flesh. The true worshiper will have no confidence in their flesh. In other words, true circumcision will not rely on the flesh for righteousness. No no confidence in the flesh whatsoever. My confidence is in the Lord and His grace. That he has poured out on me. Therefore, our focus is on God's grace and knowing his righteousness by faith in Christ. That's it. Just in that. Verse 4 tells us in on from there through verse 7. How it is that if anyone has room to boast in confidence in the flesh, it's the Apostle Paul. Uh, none of you, nor myself, nor anyone else, has the pedigree that the Apostle Paul had. (laughs) None of us. Most people that were teaching a false doctrine in righteousness didn't come close to having the background Paul had. Even then, they they were spreading this this false doctrine. They were the legalists, the the dogs and the evildoers, and the mutilators of the flesh. These people, they didn't come close to having the background that the Apostle Paul had. And he listed all that. Hey, listen, I was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law, according to Leviticus 12.3. Secondly, uh, I am of Israel. Yes, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, of Jacob is what the Apostle Paul was saying. Thirdly, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. Um, you guys know who King Saul is? Yeah, he's of my tribe. And I'm part of his line. Um... 
while everyone else was kind of mixing in with uh, Greek culture. The Apostle Paul didn't. He knew he was aware of it. He was well studied. But he also said, number four, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Fifthly, he said, oh, as to the law, well, I'm a Pharisee. Or at least he was. You see, they paid close, strict adherence to the law. They were extremely diligent in keeping the law. They were wholly devoted to keeping it and making sure that everyone else did also. As someone who knew legalism, oh, that's the Apostle Paul. He could identify it. He could see it. He could smell it. He could sense it. It's all there. Oh, zeal. <laughs> uh, no one de- demonstrated more zeal than me, is what the Apostle Paul said. Oh, the church, I, I persecuted the church. I went after it personally. Righteousness under the law? Well, for him, according to all the religious people, he was blameless. He knew he wasn't blameless, but he was blameless in their sight. He was considered to be righteous because of the way he kept the law. By the standard of those around him, he was righteous. But, he says, all of this he regarded as loss for the sake of Christ. All of it. I gave you this list so that you understand, if anyone can boast, it's me in the flesh. But it's all loss. All of it. All these things he initially thought would get him closer to God and earn him righteousness, he realized was not a success, but a failure. It was a failure. Oh, what pride was beaten down and shaken and crumbled to the ground. He could never attain it by anything he was or could offer or sacrifice. But what the Lord was, what he offered, and what he sacrificed on the cross alone. Be careful to put no confidence in the flesh. Remember that. As Christians, we worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And so for the Apostle Paul, he was saying all of that, it's all a loss. That take, that, by the way, everything that he learned up to that point, everything that, all the time that he spent, he had to humble himself before the Lord, coming to know the truth and say, it, it's, all, it's all a loss. Let's learn what that looks like, though. Because number one, we're we're warned, right? Warning, look out for these. Number two, take note, we are not of the flesh. So this is how we are to uh, be described ourselves as Christians, as followers of the Lord and worship God. And thirdly, rejoice, righteousness depends on faith. Oh, this is great news. Verse 11, as we continue, says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Rejoice, righteousness depends on faith. When we, continue, when we come to fully understand this very thing, then life takes a whole different turn 
and, and we see things differently. Our perspective allows for joy to truly be the undertone of all things and in all circumstances. All things I can do, all things I have done, are a loss. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, I, I gladly give them up. Not only was Paul's pedigree not worth anything, but all things were not worth comparing to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. It, it didn't even compare. Nothing compares to it. His personal relationship with Jesus was central to his life. And what he was saying is that no matter what he lost, it didn't matter because he knew the immeasurable worth in knowing Jesus Christ and righteousness in him. It was just immeasurable. Immeasurable is nothing, nothing matches up to it. Nothing can be compared to it. It's just this value that you can't put a cost on. You can't. You can't. It's just immeasurable. It's beyond anything that we have come to know prior to. It's not worth comparing. It can't be. This is where Paul was taking the church in Philippi. And this is where the Lord is taking us, church, today. Oh, to come to know this? Who can steal your joy? What circumstances can steal your joy? Nothing and no one. Nothing at all. Why? Because our joy is not found in our circumstances. Our joy is found in Jesus Christ. We need to understand this very thing today. Because Paul was concluding saying that after all the things he did and who he was, it could not bring him any closer to God and produce any righteousness whatsoever. Nothing. If any man could have remained prideful in his accomplishments, it was the Apostle Paul. But he suffered the loss of a good standing before the religious people. I said earlier, he, he gladly gave that up. A man who could have remained prideful. And, you know, in, in, in Christ there is grace. But when you begin to know the person of Christ, when you begin to develop a relationship with him by submitting, surrendering to him and, and learning him and how much he loves us and this grace that he has given to us by faith in Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, salvation, eternal life, we are going to come into his glory for all eternity one day. Then things start to change. The heart of man becomes pliable. In the hands of the potter. We begin to surrender. And allow ourselves. To be used. By God as he sees fit. We read God's word. And we realize. One more time. In another day. That we need to conform. To the image of Jesus Christ. That perhaps some of the things. That we've experienced and done and said and thought up to this point weren't right. It requires humility. And Paul was such a man. Because if anyone could remain being prideful, it was him.
but he didn't remain there. He gave up his good standing before the religious people of the day. He says, it's not even worth, worth comparing. Not, not even worth comparing to knowing Christ. In, in fact, this is how he described it. He considered those things he lost as dung. You know what dung is? Yeah. You know, you see a, a field full of cows and there's, there are these patties on the ground and on the top they look, they look hard, but if you step right in the middle of them, they... <laughs> I describe them to you like that. Why? That's what the Apostle Paul was saying. All, all of that? <laughs> For me, it's, this is what it is. Uh, they're insignificant. That, that's what he thought of it. So what does the Lord think of all our accomplishments up to this point? To be known in the religious community as righteous and good people. Dung. Dung. Uh, it'd be good for us to learn that. Because then we could express humility not only toward God, but toward each other. We'd realize, that, as the Apostle Paul, that it's no trouble for me to say this one more time. To encourage you and to come alongside you, my friend, my brother or sister in Christ. I want to encourage you with this. Because I don't care how I'm regarded in the religious community. What matters to me is how I'm regarded before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Before Him. I owe all to Him. I want to bless and glorify Him. And my joy is in blessing and glorifying Him, in Him alone. To be humble before Him. And the most important thing was to be found in Christ and nothing else. Knowing that righteousness does not come by the law or the keeping of it, but only that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith is what the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians here. This is a surrendered life wholly dependent on the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross and nothing else. It's this life that brings us to desiring to know Jesus intimately as Lord and our God who has provided everything and whom we will one day know the power of His resurrection from the dead. One day we will know the fullness of it. And we will one day... Be more alive than we have never been before. Before God in all of His glory. Even in suffering we share with Christ gladly and are not shaken. Romans 8.17 says, And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, and in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We gladly suffer with them. As the Apostle Paul is saying, is telling us, even today God is laying out before us, hey, listen, none of that is worth comparing to that which awaits us in Christ, in His fullness. Oh, brother, be encouraged. Whatever you're going through, whatever it is that you've accomplished up to this point, whatever it is, 
Oh, just keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. Keep your eyes fixed on him. He is our goal and our prize. Let's look forward to that. Because Paul is looking forward to knowing a full resurrection when he dies, knowing that he will be more alive at that point than ever before and will see Jesus in all of his glory. It's beyond our comprehension. It should drive us today. It should be our motivation because we learn to love just as he has first loved us. So that's where we come to. He warns us, tells us to take note, and then he brings us to rejoicing. All in those short 11 verses. In conclusion, and I do mean that. Because Paul knew that righteousness is known in faith and not works or anything else, his focus could be squarely on getting to know who Jesus is. You know how you get to know who Jesus is? You open up the Bible. You read. You come into fellowship and, and you get into Bible studies. And you, and you don't forsake the assembling of ourselves. You don't forsake the, the, the fellowship of the brethren. Why? Because we sharpen one another. We grow together. Sure, we, we make mistakes. Why? Because, well, well we're this side of heaven. <laughs> we're human. And it's for that reason that we need each other even that much more. And so we grow. But we should always be growing in the, in the same direction. With the same desire in our hearts that we would come to know Jesus more intimately, more fully, and grow in our maturity toward him. To know how to love him. And I ask you, do you know this faith? Do you know this faith? Because if so, then it should also lead to a desire of knowing Jesus, looking forward to seeing him face to face. It should lead to that desire. And so I call on you, no matter where you are in your walk. For, for me, I was encouraged by going through and studying these verses here. Philippians chapter 3, these first 11 verses. I was encouraged, as we all should, to get to know Christ a little bit more. To become more intimate in my relationship with Him. To surrender a little bit more to Him. To allow him to be the joy of my life. Overflowing with the spirit. And first of all with the love, with love for him. And that others may see that. And be encouraged by it. Come to know God's grace, love and forgiveness in Christ. And may your desire for him increase. And become your central desire in your life. Until you and I see him face-to-face. Father, we are thank you for the love that you first demonstrated to us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I pray, Lord, that we would be discerning, knowing the truth, that we would know the truth from the false and we would learn how to bless and glorify you. that you would be honored and glorified by the way we live our lives. Not because we uh, are gaining any righteousness. <laughs> we can't do that. Our righteousness is found and known in Jesus Christ alone.
but that we would reflect you to others, that we would live in response to that love that you first demonstrated to us, that love that led us to surrender in our hearts to you, repenting, asking for forgiveness, and knowing salvation in Jesus Christ. May that be reflected in our lives toward others. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves once more to you, asking for your blessing. Pour your spirit out upon us. And may we walk in the newness of life that we've come to know in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.